there's a story that was once told about an old, uh, rich, miserly man who was lying on his deathbed. And he'd never really treated his wife well, um, wasn't very nice to her, wasn't kind, and, and uh, he was known for being pretty cheap, even though he had a lot of money. So in his final hours, he calls his wife to come into the room as he's dying, and he said this, he said, I want you to know that I've worked very hard for my money, and I've decided that I, I wanna take all of my money with me, and so I want you to promise me something. When, when I die, I want you to put it in the casket with me so I can take it with me. And so she heard this, thought it was weird, but after the man dies, the widow attends the funeral with one of her friends, and just before the funeral director closes the casket, she places a small metal box inside. And her friend looks at her in horror and says, surely you didn't put all of his money in, in the casket, did you? And, and the wife said, well, I, I gave him my word. I promised him that I would. So I got all of his money, I deposited every last penny into my account, and I wrote him a check. <laughs> and if he can cash it, he can spend it. <laughs> you like that one, right? <laughs> so we're studying the Sermon on the Mount, and so far, we have talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about healthy foundations. We've talked about priorities. We've talked about the Beatitudes. We've talked about emotions like anger and resentment and lust. And today we come to two more difficult topics that Jesus addresses, money and worry. And I don't think that it's a mere coincidence that we find these two topics back to back in Matthew chapter six. Now, I want all of you to know something. Woodmont is in a healthy financial place thanks to your generosity and your support. Supporting the mission of the church will always be essential. And I'm grateful that you do that. But ministers do a disservice to their people if they only talk about money when the church is trying to raise money. We do that in April, stewardship, right? But the reality is Jesus talks about money and possessions all the time throughout his ministry. Uh, and it wasn't because he was raising money. He didn't have a church. He didn't have a budget. He didn't have a staff to pay. Jesus talked about money because he knew that without question, it is the number one idol in our lives. Fred Craddock, who was one of the greatest preachers to ever be a part of the Christian church. In fact, one of his final sermons was right here in this pulpit back in 2011. He was a friend of mine, a mentor of mine. He one time decided to rewrite 1 Corinthians 13 because he said, I wanna make this more relevant to our culture. So he rewrote 1 Corinthians 13 and he switched out the word love for the word money. And this is what it said. He said, if I speak in tongues of mortals and angels, but do not have money, I am nothing. If I could prophesy and understand all secrets and all knowledge, but have not money, I am nothing. If I didn't have money, I would be nothing more than a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. Money is always faithful and kind, always hopeful and to be trusted. Money never ends. 
Now abide these three, faith, hope, and money, but the greatest of these is money. Now in his own way, Fred Craddock pointed to an undeniable truth in our culture. Money is worshiped, money's glorified, and to many people it's often more important than faith and love and people. We live in a culture that is obsessed with money, driven by money, uh, focused on money. Money often means power and influence, accomplishment, prestige. Money is often the way that we superficially judge the value of a person and whether or not they've been successful in life. Money drives politics and political passions and elections. Money opens doors and influences people. Money causes lots of problems in marriages and families. And Jesus was well aware of all of this, and so he talked about it. He knew that so many of our stresses, our fears, our insecurities, our problems in life are directly tied to money. And here's the deal. Everybody has to deal with it. It's a necessary part of life. We all think about it more than we care to admit. So here's what Jesus says, Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now the truth is we all store up treasures on earth. It's a part of living in this world. It's a part of playing the game of life. We have to have a place to live, a car to drive, clothes to wear, food to eat, but, but, but does it become our primary focus? And what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? How do we do that? What, what does that look like? But Paul didn't say that, that money's the root of all evil. What did Paul say in 1 Timothy? The love of money is the root of all evil. There's a difference. Now Jesus continues, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He didn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heart follows treasure. Treasure doesn't always follow heart. It's a timeless truth. You invest in the stock market, you'll pay attention to the stock market. You invest in the church, you'll pay attention to how the church is doing. You invest in your child's education, you'll want to know if they are learning and doing well in school. Heart follows money. Now just a few verses later, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. But unfortunately, many people miss this point. And they think they can do both. But you can't, because one always wins. Always. If you read the newsletter that, that comes out on Tuesday, it's called The Spire. On the off weeks, it's called The Inspire. You can remember that. We try to put content in there that'll be helpful to you. But if you read it this past week, then you might have seen an, a, a column, an article that my father, Roy Stoffer, wrote. Uh, and, and it said this. He says, Christianity is based on the teachings of Jesus, who said such things as love one another as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But let me be honest, he said. It's a real challenge to get people to be Christ-centered in a world that worships money. Now, if we push ahead in chapter 6 of Matthew, what do we find? Jesus talking about worry. He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then he says at the end, you know, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will bring troubles of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Here's the truth. We worry about the things that we care about. And it stresses us out. And sometimes we can read this passage of scripture and we say, you know, that's easy for you to say, Jesus, you never had a mortgage. You didn't have kids and bills. You didn't have to pay tuition. You didn't have to put kids through college. You didn't have to live in a town like Nashville where the price keeps going up all the time. But I think Jesus would still say, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring troubles of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. You know, the first book that I uh, ever published came out eight years ago. It was really good. Um, and I wrote the book on the three things that you're not supposed to talk about, right? Religion, politics, and money. It's called preaching politics. Still order it. Um, but the way that I see it is these are the three things that everybody likes to talk about. So I just wrote a book on it. And these are the things that a lot of people talk about on a regular basis. These are the things that keep people's attention. So what I wanna do is I wanna leave you with a couple of thoughts. A few of them I developed in that book and a few that I just kinda of have in general about this subject of money and worry and how we think about it. The first thought is this. I believe that we have to push back against the superficiality and shallowness of our materialistic culture. You know, there's nothing wrong with being successful. There's nothing wrong with owning nice things. But we can't let the superficial things of life define us in who we are. We have to go deeper. Eugene Peterson, who translated the message he said this one time, and it stuck with me. He said, I love being an American. I love this place in which I have been placed, its language, its history, its energy, but I don't love the American way, per se, its culture and values. I don't love the rampant consumerism that treats God as a product to be marketed. I don't love the dehumanizing way that turns men, women, and children into impersonal roles and causes and statistics. I don't love the competitive spirit that treats others as rivals and even as enemies. You see, in a consumer culture, everything, be everything becomes a commodity. We tend to love things and use people rather than what we're supposed to do, which is love people, use things. We have to do everything in our power to get beneath the surface, to not be shallow, 
to get to know people for who they are, not just for what they have or, or what they don't have. It's your character, your compassion, your kindness, your heart. That's what matters, not what you own. Secondly, Jesus was absolutely right when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know what's most important in your life? I'll tell you. Go look at your bank statement or your credit card bill and see where the majority of your money goes, and that will tell you what's most important in your life. You're welcome. It's easy to figure that out. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money always talks, but what does it say? What does it communicate? Um, it doesn't matter if you have a little bit of money or about the average amount of money or a lot of money, you are still communicating what you value. So what do you value? Do you support the things that you say are most important? Do you support the things that, that, that you know are most important? And if not, then why not? You know, priorities always matter. But for whatever reason, we don't always align our priorities with our resources. And some will say, well, I can't. I can't give money to the things that I really love because then there won't be enough to go around. But think about that. If something is really important, then put your money and your time and your talents behind it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a timeless truth that was laid out by Jesus. Third, Greed is not defined by what we have. It is defined by whether or not we keep all that we have to ourselves. You know, every month, Megan and I write our check to Woodmont. And, and don't think for a second that even as a minister, I don't think about other places where that money might go. Kids' tuition keeps going up, by the way. Nicer car. <laughs> I have a 2007 Lexus SUV. You can go see it right out here. Um, 124,000 miles on it. So do the math. I don't drive anywhere, really, okay? It's a short radius. But, but I really like the new Broncos. They're really cool. Um, but I don't need a Bronco right now. There's a lot of people coming to Nashville from all over the place, mostly California, but all over the place. They got a lot of money. A lot of people moving here. Prices keep going up. Nothing is getting cheaper. And so there's a lot of fear that if we give away our money, we won't have it for ourselves. But remember, giving away money is a blessing. It frees us. It changes us. It makes a difference in the lives of other people. But we only know that when we become generous and we work through our fears. You know, I heard my dad say growing up, could you live on 10 times what you give away every year? What would your life be like? And most people would say, no, no, I don't want to do that. Young people and old people feel like they're going to run out. But here's the deal, if you're not generous when you're young, you're not gonna become generous when you're old. Generosity 
and greed is a condition of the heart. Fourth, social comparison is the primary thief of joy. In other words, if all you do is look around and see what everybody else has and what you don't, you're not going to be thankful because you will always be focused on what you're missing. It's very hard to be grateful and fearful at the same time. There was an interesting, uh, some interesting testimonies given on Capitol Hill this week. Did you see this? It was the CEOs of all the major social media companies. So Facebook, uh, TikTok, X, whatever the other ones are. And they were answering questions about lives that have been lost because of cyberbullying and sex trafficking. It's a problem. Many of the congressmen and senators were, were grilling them about this. And at one point, uh, Josh Hawley, a senator from Missouri, asked Mark Zuckerberg if he wanted to apologize to some of the families who were in the room, the hearing room, um, who had lost children or loved ones because of social media bullying. And so he did, but it was forced and it was awkward. The other thing that social media has done is it's made all of us aware of what everybody else is doing, what everybody else has. And so the problem is we don't need to know all this because it drives envy, jealousy, resentment. So social comparison is the primary thief of joy and we need to recognize that because what it does is it keeps us from being grateful. It keeps us looking around saying, I wish I had what they had. I wish I had what she had. I wish I could live my life like that influencer over there. Lastly, we all need to know where real joy and happiness comes from in life. It comes from God and it comes from community. Jesus says, like I told the children, love God and love your neighbor. That's how he sums it up. Um, a number of years ago, I was having coffee around Christmas time with the former Vanderbilt Chancellor, Nick Zeppos. Many of you remember Nick. Um, now he just teaches at the law school, but he's been a friend for a long time. And, and, and he gave me this book around Christmas time that was called The Happiness Hypothesis, written by Jonathan Haidt. And, and so in the book, Haidt is taking ancient wisdom of the philosophers, including Jesus, but also many others. And he, he's talking about where we all find joy and happiness. And so in the book, what he says is there's three theories the first one is that happiness comes from achievement and acquisition. Making money, buying things makes us happy. The problem is with that approach is it's always short-lived. There's always something newer and nicer to have, right? So the second theory is the Buddhist approach. Happiness comes from within. We block out desire. We look inside our hearts to find happiness and contentment. And that's, that's true, except it's always incomplete. Ultimately in the book, which then they recommended to all the incoming Vanderbilt freshmen, is the third theory where he says, happiness and joy in life comes from between. Meaning it comes from our networks and our relationships and the time that we spend with each other. And money and things are only fun if we get to enjoy them with the people that we like, not by ourselves. Jesus says, where your treasure is, 
There your heart will be also. He, he says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will bring troubles of its own. Live your life one day at a time. Be generous, love others, keep your faith and value the people that you have in your life. Now, I wear these bracelets on my wrist. Some of you remember I lost one of my close friends around Thanksgiving. My friend Zach and his two kids were killed in a car wreck. And so I got this Team Muck bracelet and then I got this other one that some of Judson's and Lindsay's friends made with the beads. And I wear it on my wrist because anytime I get frustrated, anytime I get stressed out, anytime I get worried, I just look down at my wrist and I remember that Zach and his kids would probably love to be here and they're not. And so sometimes we have to put our worries and our struggles in perspective and realize the things that really do matter. And Jesus helps us remember. Amen.